Shout out to Howard Kalen. <laughs> Flo and Eddie. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, underappreciated, and common records that are waiting to be rediscovered. My name is Sean Hartman. I'm joined today by my regular co-host, licensed appreciator of old buildings, Peter Cook. Oh, that is a great title. Thank you very much. Another hand-picked one for you. (laughs) And uh, the uh, world's foremost authority on mid-century paperweights, Jeremy Ruggle. Why, thank you. I'm glad to be here today with you. Mm-hmm. And for the second week in a row, we have our special guest, Earl Jordan, who, uh, let's go with ancient astronaut theorist. Ooh, exciting. I always wanted to be an astronaut. Not really. <laughs> now you're just a theorist. Okay, well... What are we doing today, Earl? What's, uh, uh, what'd I, you bring to the table? I have the 25th studio album by the Supremes called Floyd Joy. I really picked this album out because um, it just doesn't sound like anything the Supremes did really to that point. I actually got the record at Satellite Records. Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Shots fired. Like fun, <laughs> sunshiny, psychedelic pop, which I love. So there's some really great songs on here. And like I said, it doesn't really sound like the Supremes up to that point. So yeah, Sean is a Supremes hater. I've For always real. enjoyed them, and he's like, I don't like them. I think when he heard you were doing this one, he's like, Oh, the Supremes. But what do you think about it after you heard it, Sean? Tell him what you thought. Yeah, it was. It's good. It's actually like really, really good. I mean, that's like one of the fun things about this show is like we get to all like pick out our records that no one else realizes is good but then at the same time when other people are picking records we can also be like oh shit this record's good and i didn't know that i asked earl to be a part of the show and i was like all right we're going with like kind of more obscure artists and albums and stuff like that and he was he was gonna pick out a four tops record and like i didn't say anything but i was thinking like okay that's like one of the (laughs) biggest motown groups like (laughs) not really obscure but i guess people know their hits and not their albums that's fine and then he's like, actually, I'm going to switch from the Four Tops to the Supremes. I was like, okay, literally the highest selling Motown artist. Like, I don't know if you're really understanding the obscure element. Also, I don't like the Supremes, but like, whatever. Like, you're you're the guest, you pick. And then last night I was talking to Jeremy and Peter. I was like, guys, I got to admit, like, I don't like the Supremes. I haven't even listened to this record yet. And Peter was like, dude, it's good. You got to listen to it. And I put it on at like one in the morning last night and was just instantly like, oh my God, this is so good. Like, I had no idea. Like this is, yeah, it's way different from the other Supreme stuff. It doesn't have that like saccharine, like overly produced too cute kind of feel that a lot of the early Supreme stuff does. I think I said to you that historically I tend to prefer like Darlene Love and Martha Reeves over uh, Diana Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I immediately noticed that this did not give me the feel of uh, Diana Ross Supremes when I put it on. So I immediately went to the Wikipedia page and saw, oh, no, this is Gene Terrell. Is it? Yeah. That's on lead vocals? Um, so the lineup for this album is Mary Wilson, Cindy Birdsong and Gene Terrell. 
Linda Lawrence is actually on the album as well. And she is from Stevie Wonder's band. So when Cindy Birdsong left, they recruited her to uh, join and she's featured on the album as well. So, but no Diana Ross. Diana Ross had been gone maybe two, three albums already at this point. So a few so, weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, you can't hurry hurry love is still one of my favorite songs of the motown era especially when phil collins does it <laughs> yeah earl you want to talk a little more about like what the like general vibe and sound of this record is i mean we can hear a clip pretty soon here the interesting thing about this record is completely produced and mostly written by uh smoky robinson so, the goat uh, it definitely has his flourishes, his touches, his songwriting signatures pretty much all over the songs. And you just really hear it and uh, the arrangements. Maybe we should listen to a song. Let's do A Heart Like Mine. That was my favorite one when I was listening back to this. was a heart like mine interesting thing about this song is Smokey actually wrote it and put it on High Brothers Miracles which is their first album it's funny he uh, took that and kind of redid it and gave it to them and rearranged it a little bit but it's a little interesting fact about that song he double dipped <laughs> he did the that song definitely you hear that and Smokey Robinson is all over it sonically yeah <laughs> and, and not only does it have the Smokey Robinson feel but I, I think it's really got that kind of magical like mid late period Motown sound where Barry Gordy was finally realizing that people could have hit records that didn't sound exactly the way he thought they should sound. Infamously he thought Marvin Gaye's What's Going On was terrible and like fought him on releasing that. And then it's their biggest selling record of all time. He's getting to the point where he's like, well, people can just kind of do what they want and maybe it'll work. And then you get to have records like this where the band is stretching out and the vibe is a lot more interesting and layered and I love it. Some kind of psychedelic textures in there, yep. too, I notice. I think that actually may be something that the Supreme's be better-known work suffered from is them being such a big-selling artist, the pressure to deliver every time. Yeah. I, I did want to kind of mention on that, like, I'm not just a Supreme's hater because I think, the, like, the members of the Supremes were bad, but I think they suffered the most from 
the, like overly sterilized production and control. I remember like hearing Diana Ross talk about how like the very first public appearance on TV you can still find on YouTube of the Supremes. She's being kind of goofy and making faces and they look like they're having fun and the music's got a little bit more energy to it. And then like Barry Gordy saw that and was like, no, white people aren't going to buy this. Like you need to be well-dressed. You need to smile and not show any personality. They hired etiquette coaches for all the female artists on Motown. And it was some like really fucked up controlling issues of all the ladies on Motown. And yeah, I think, I think a lot of those records suffered artistically. I mean, like it made a ton of money for the reasons that they did because of those choices. But I, I don't think they've aged quite as well as some of the other artists. Yeah, that's a fair argument. I would uh, kind of agree with that. But we're here now, and this one is is their little minor masterpiece. I'm not going to call it a full-fledged, but it's a minor masterpiece, I think, at least for the Supremes. I like agree. I said, it does show them kind of stretching out and doing a little, you know, taking the sound to different places, but still keeping what makes them them yeah. and keeping those elements. And the instrumentation on it is amazing, especially yeah. like James Jamerson's bass playing. Oh my <laughs> God. And Dennis Coffey's like guitar playing and the effects he's using and stuff. Like, wow. Yeah. What was the other one that I mentioned uh, when we were talking last night? Was it, is it Automatically Sunshine? Is yeah. that the name of the song? Yeah. That one, the vibe on that, it's strangely like minor and major sounding at the same time. I don't mean to jump ahead to a song that you may or may not have intended on talking about, but. No, we should uh, cue that song up. All right. Let me listen. Because that is a, a highlight on the album for sure. interesting thing uh if you guys notice about that song the melody is pretty pretty similar to that 1967 hit happy together by the turtles yes so i don't know if Smokey was trying to infuse a little bit of that song but they're really close in that uh, structure and melody i think he was definitely trying to go for that psychedelic pop sound yeah that makes sense the turtles so Earl, when when did you buy this record, and what like made you pick this up? Is this something you kind of already knew about, or was this kind of a blind buy, or what's your background on it? Well, I like I said, I came across it at Satellite. It wasn't really a 
a blind buy, but it was a Supremes record I didn't have. Mm. So I was like, ah, oh, this is something a little different. It seemed like a later one. So I try to, I've been really trying to get their later stuff because it's really just completely different experience. Yeah. Um, their later albums than some of the more earlier stuff that you're not a big fan of, but. Because <laughs> um, keep bringing it up this whole episode. I mean, yeah, we, we always had this record at Satellite. I remember there's times yeah. we'd have like three or four copies of this in the bins. Like people would be like, do you have any Supremes? Oh, you don't have like the hits that I want. And there's this one without Diana Ross. Like I'm not buying that. I've gotten some good ones there. I got at least three or four from Satellite. Nice. Without the uh, Diana Ross album. So. Now and I know. I'm, not, I'm no longer a complete Supremes hater. <laughs> I uh, utilize them at a lot of House of Boogies through the years, I'm sure. Noise is white. How long did, and, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but how long did the Supremes go just by name? Do we, what, to 76, what? they disbanded. I was yeah. reading earlier. 19, or 1976. Okay, I wasn't sure. It's like the, I think, I don't know that the Temptations ever technically disbanded. <laughs> but no, they're still going with one or, one original member. Uh. <laughs> Those late 80s and 90s Temptations albums. Oh, oh, man. Even a lot of the 70s ones, honestly. Like, <laughs> that might be my favorite Motown group, and they've got some stinkers. <laughs> Definitely. You listen to one more song? Yeah. What you want to hear? Let's do Over and Over. now i think i realized one of the elements of this that made it instantly appealing to me her voice kind of reminds me of eddie kendrick's mm. yeah that's gene gene yeah gene terrell yeah it's that kind of like delicate but sophisticated falsetto sound definitely. yeah yeah it, it, it just i mean because eddie kendrick's 
is hands down my favorite temptation. Mm-hmm. It's a tough call between Eddie Kendricks and uh, David Ruffin. Uh, no, not David Ruffin. Paul Williams. Mm, yeah, true. I guess I'm thinking more of the Eddie Kendrick solo albums. Dude, the Eddie Kendrick solo albums are so good and no one talks about them. Like, yeah. Yeah, Jay Dula sampled them. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's like the only thing people know. Like, I played that that track and was like, whoa, are you playing Donuts right now? Like, no. <laughs> no, same thing happens with 10CC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I've, I've used a lot of his solo uh, albums in my DJ sets for sure. So there's definitely a lot of gems in the Eddie Kendrick's solo albums. The David Ruffin ones I want, but I just never seem to find They're those. hard to find, and they're yeah. they're a little disappointing from everything I've heard so far, honestly. To the fellow non-nerdy listeners, I have no idea what they're talking about either. <laughs> you're We're not alone. Making I'm up Motown artists. <laughs> Apparently the Supremes weren't very good. We've already had to start talking about other Motown artists halfway through this episode. You were you did direct Ooh. us to do that. I'm just following instructions. Earl, I got a question for you. You said that you've uh, you look for other late period Supremes records for people like myself that were rabid Supremes haters and are just now understanding that they had their moments. Uh, what are some other records we could all look for in addition to Floyd Joy? They did an album with Jimmy Webb. It's actually the one after this where Jimmy Webb uh, kind of wrote and produced the whole album. So that's interesting. I don't think it's as strong as this, but it's kind of interesting to hear him work with one producer. Write On's really good. Touch is pretty good. And then there's one more. That's like their first names is the album title, but that one's really good. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting what you just said about like, it's cool hearing them do an entire album with one producer. I do like those kind of Motown records a lot as well. I think a lot of the full Motown LPs suffered from the approach of the like the band had a couple singles and then they just covered some other Motown hits to throw a record together and try and make a few more bucks off of it. And a lot of them just don't feel cohesive. They don't feel like a complete mm-hmm. album. Um, but occasionally the band like was able to take a little bit more conceptual approach get one produced in there have a consistent sound and a consistent flow and when they did that especially on albums like this when Smokey was you know behind the whole thing it it really shines yeah it's interesting because like I said he was uh about to embark on a solo career so this is kind of his last little like really heavily Motown affiliated project where I think working with other artists because I'm pretty sure he just after this album, he just went headstrong into his solo career. So yeah. he wasn't really writing and producing for other artists pretty much at that point. You know, there's a question just with kind of talking about the production of the albums and kind of the consistency of them. With Soul, what was the kind of, we've mentioned what's uh, what's going on. But is What is kind of the Sgt. Pepper or Pet sounds of Soul music that were, was the whole work kind of became like a complete work versus individual songs composited together. I know I would say hot buttered soul, maybe. I always feel like what's going on gets that uh, title. It's that flag to speak. Maybe because it was yeah. just so like monumental. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he like, like Sean said, he really had a vision for that. And Barry Gordon had nothing to do with the topic matter, the arrangement. He just was not into the, the album he didn't like the songs he didn't think they were commercial he didn't think they would sell yeah but i mean marvin had a vision and he was like no this music's important these songs are important and i want to do this and this is history so from what i understand at that point marvin also had a clause of his motown contract saying that even if he was the only one that liked the record he still had final say on whether the record got released or not because everything else barry gordy had final say and like barry tried 
everything he could to not get that record released. And apparently since he's said that he uh, now thinks it's a good album, you know, like <laughs> since millions thinks- of dollars later. <laughs> but yeah, going back to your question, Peter, I, yeah, I think what's going on is a, a big one for that. As far as Motown catalog, I think the temptation psychedelic shack was a big one for that. Especially, yeah. it's probably one of the most psychedelic albums on there. There's some like straight up like weird and spooky sections to it. Yeah, there's a lot of sitar work on that album. Yeah, um, the guitar work is crazy. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, they're highly influenced by the Beatles. There's thousands and thousands of soul covers of Beatles songs. I think in a lot of ways, it was kind of just more ripples from Sgt. Pepper's as opposed to being like its own separate event. Mm-hmm. But the way they incorporated the like psychedelic pop influence between like on one side, you got what's going on on the other side, you got psychedelic shack. I think those were two very important for this kind of soul music in this era. Right on. And uh, also Peter, uh, we, you can fly on my airplane. It's from 77 and it's um, out of Ohio. And, but that's definitely a masterpiece, I think. Okay. And I think he only had the one album and that was it. It's uh, I would put it up there with maybe, Maybe some Stevie Wonder works. Yeah, like I mean, Intervisions. I don't want to like oversell it, but I don't yeah. know if you feel like you're familiar with that album, right? Not terribly, honestly. Yeah, well, uh, Kanye sampled it. Um, it's probably what it's most known for on um, Yeezus, the last song on Yeezus. He used a sample from the song, but no, it's a fantastic album. So we, you can ride on my airplane. I'll look into uh, that or one. you can fly on my airplane, excuse me. Excellent. It's a little minor masterpiece. Um a lot of the stuff Stevie Wonder was doing was huge too. Um, you know, he was also one of the early Motown artists that really got to just do whatever he wanted without that creative control from the label. Of, of course, it was the guys that were able to branch out. Of course, out. Yeah. yeah, and only the guys who had like had like dozens of hits before that. Well, know? I think the th- interesting thing about Stevie and um, Marvin Gaye is they had the musical chops to 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 take full control. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Marvin could play drums, play piano. I mean, he could, you know, produce. And Stevie Wonder played everything. So, it's, yeah. I think it was easier for them to kind of transition into taking full control because they could just do everything they needed to do. I mean, it would in be studio. interesting if more of the female artists had full control to see what yeah. they could have brought to the table. Cause honestly the solo Diana stuff right after this is incredible. And I think really dwarfs a lot of the Supremes output. It's way more interesting. You can tell like, Oh, you're, you finally let the artist have a say in what their art sounds like. And it's better. Like imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Putting her with the right producers definitely helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Mr. Earl, while you're here, do you want to tell us about, analog ancestry and house of boogie and all these things you do around town um well cooper and i and another friend of ours andrew demina who lives in detroit started analog ancestry back in 2011 and it was just we just wanted to spin records and just keep the vibe loose and try to mix hip-hop funk soul and whatever, uh, a lot of reggae, because Andrew did a lot of reggae at that time. So that was kind of the overall theme. And like I said, it was the three of us. Andrew moved and then Coop moved. So probably 2014, it was trying, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I had this brand that people were kind of familiar with around town, but it was just me at that point. So I kind of, one thing I did was join a bunch of music groups on Facebook and just kind of push my brand out a little bit, kind of familiarize people with the type of music I was into and wanted to play and wanted to DJ. And then uh, I hooked up with Sean and then we started doing House of Boogies and 
DJing shows and the rest is history, as they say. So yeah, it's been I've, 11 years now. So <laughs> When I w- was first trying to like get some DJ gigs around town and transition from just doing wider into trying to do live stuff, I was seeing the like analog ancestry gigs around and, okay, cool, there's other people doing this. There's like a scene starting for this kind of old school DJing that's like branching out from EDM genres. I want to be a part of this. And then they were kind of fading out as I was starting to get a little more high profile gigs at Bells with House of Boogie. So it was cool to keep Earl involved on that. And here we are today. I think our listeners might have figured out finally that we live. This is this podcast is coming out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. (laughs) I don't know if we ever established that. I don't think we did. I mean, we definitely have not shied away from hyper-localized references so far. (laughs) I think we said Southwest Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've already profiled Rock and Roll Hardings. It's it's almost like my co-hosts think we're never going to like branch outside of the Kalamazoo listenership. We'll never get out of this town. I'm doing Springsteen (laughs) next week because of that. Well, is there anything else, Earl, that you wanted to say about this album, The Supremes, or anything else? Any other thoughts? The main thing is if you see records, just buy it. You may not like it. That's part of the fun, though. But you might find every every record has at least two tracks you can do something with. So just take that approach. And if you don't like it, set it down and come back to it. There's tons of records that I didn't like when I first bought it. Maybe the first three times I listened to it, set it down for a while, and then got back into it later. So if you're not immediately into something, just give it a while, give it a chance, and you will you might like it later. I'm still trying to work on liking Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, so, but that's not <laughs> that, so. We're, we're going to sit you down after this and play the discography. You can't leave until you're I mean, uh, I can kind of dig Nebraska, but everything else, I'm like, oh. oh it goes so much deeper uh, than that, though. I'm going to. Born to Run great album but other than that i was just like i just can can do it i'm gonna find the uh, bruce springsteen cut where he emulates stereo lab <laughs> oh, <God>. uh, <laughs> if, i'm going to see stereo lab i'm very excited about october 3rd october oh, 3rd i guess i shouldn't date this in case. <laughs> bucket list show stereo lab earl if people want to hear some of like the mixes or anything else you're doing on the internet where can they find you It'll be Analog Ancestry on SoundCloud, and then I have a bunch of mixes on your Mixcloud, which you can give them the address for That's that. That's the, the DJ Hard Bargain Mixcloud. You can search it up on Mixcloud.com. And then there's the Soul Groove radio shows that we did, too. Those are up on Mixcloud as well. Yeah, it was a brief, wider radio show that Earl and I did together. All right. Well, this has been another I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name is Jeremy Ruggles. My name is Peter Cook. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Earl Jordan. Farewell. Thanks. Bye.